Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And uh, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the 11th of uh, April, 2018. Um, the world as we know it may cease to exist while we're uh, while we're doing the show, but uh, I mean, seriously, I, I'm not talking about the news today, okay? I'm talking to this guy here. He's going to save us from talking about Donald Trump's tweets and uh, Paul Ryan's uh, departure and uh, any and all of it, okay? Although the tweets today were particularly unbelievable. Um, No, you know that uh, when I came back from my sabbatical to, uh, I I actually took a, uh, a month off in February because Trump was literally... I thought killing me. I mean, (laughs) seriously, I would come in here on a daily basis, talk about him, you know, and the latest. And I would leave here with like a blinding headache, my heart pounding, clearly my blood pressure up. And I thought he's he's killing me. I mean, I'm 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 so anxious, so filled with so, and my audience was too, so we were feeding each other back and forth, and I finally just took time off to get my act together. And one of the things that I promise myself if I do is like what we're doing today. Other stuff. Yeah! Remember? There's a world. There was a world before Trump. There's a world out there while he's in the White House. And it can be a, a wonderful, wonderful place. So, yeah, I'm trying to... So what did you do during that month? I took up meditation. I lost a lot of weight. I stopped drinking. (laughs) (laughs) I started eating right. I read a million books. What was the best one? Oh, not the... Oh, you know what? One of the ones I loved the most was one you might appreciate. It was... I'd never read him. Amos Oz. I've never read him either. I tried to get into, I think it was See Under Love. Okay. But I just couldn't get into it. Try Judas. Okay. I, I, I found it absolutely, fa- it's not easy. Yeah. But, you know, when you're on sabbatical, you don't have to read easy books. <laughs> it, was just, it was wonderful. Wonderful. And I, I read all, um, you know, fiction because yeah. reality was getting to me. What other things did you read? I, see, this is this is awful. I always tell people, even while I'm reading a book, I don't remember the name of it. Yeah. Um, although right now I'm reading uh, Smoke uh, Smoke Town. Oh yeah, I've been wanting to read that. Are you enjoying it? Yes. Yeah. Yes, very much. Um, I, what other books did I read? Can I remember a name? Uh, no, at the moment I'm blank, but I'll tell. I, I'll I'll think about it. Okay. Some really good ones. I yeah. Mean, there's some. Just wonderful stuff. Yeah. Really. Okay. <clears throat> so who is this guy? Well, I uh, he wrote something g- that was in the Post-Gazette on a Sunday in that section and that page they have called the... Oh, I thought it was called the last page. It's called the next page. The next page. I also thought it was called the last page. Well, what the hell does the next page mean? I Did don't you? know. <laughs> <laughs> Though all the words below that are mine. Yes, but, but those one, words uh, don't make no sense. I mean, that should be the last page. Anyway, this guy, am I pronouncing your name right, Ligi? Ligi. Oh, Ligi. Yeah. Okay. L-I-D-J-I. That's correct. The derivation being? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. My grandparents were Egyptian. And their grand, their parents were from their grandparents were from Turkey, and in Turkey there's a little letter. It's a C that has a little umbilical cord on the bottom, and it's yeah, pronounced C H. Okay. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was lychee originally, and it was some Ottoman derivation. Like the nut. Yeah, like the <laughs> nut. I think that's actually the Turkish word for the the nut. Oh really? Yeah, and pretty much everyone with that last name is related to me. Well, there's a whole, I won't get into the, the whole okay. world genealogy, but there's like a whole section of Africans who have that name too. But of the 
Jews, it's everyone is in my family. It seems to have been a so made-up So your name. family was uh, Turkish and then Egyptian Jews. Right. And when the hell did they get out of there? I they mean, left in 51. Yeah. <laughs> Do the math. A little, <laughs> a little late, actually. Well, there was some business to attend to. (laughs) I actually just was down there, and I did an oral history with my grandmother, who who just turned 90. She's the last of that generation. And she said that um, there wasn't any violence. It was just... Where were they, in Cairo? They were in Cairo. It was just an understanding that there was no future. Right. Best to depart. So you could stay if you wanted, but there was nothing for you if you stayed. And then later there was violence. Yes. Right. Right. So they came... They were able to come directly to the United States? Yeah, and they s- ended up in Dallas, Texas. Okay. Well, that's unfortunate. I wouldn't say that. No, really? <laughs> so is that where you were born? In it Dallas? is, and there's also no bad places. Okay. I suppose you're right. But, you know, <laughs> uh, he, there's a human need to, like, uh, you know, disparage certain Yeah, places. Pittsburgh got the bad end of that stick for a long time. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> okay, so he, Eric Legey, is here because he wrote this thing, and it just fascinated me. And I believe uh, the Monday following, I talked a little bit about it and then realized there was no way I could translate it for you, so I thought, get the guy and have him try it. Um, so the piece is called The Diagonal City, and, yeah. and you point out that uh, cities generally, by and large, could be, if you look at them, could be considered vertical. Or horizontal. Vertical New York. Right. Uh, horizontal. Atlanta was the example Atlanta was the example you used. Yeah. Um, and uh, diagonal, which right. is not the norm. Right. It's, so... How okay, I'm just gonna. Yeah. How, why is Pittsburgh a diagonal city? I mean, we got some vertical. We don't have much horizontal. It's true. Right. But we have the vertical. Well, every major city has vertical. Of course. So um, you have a downtown. Right. But do you mind if I take a step back and explain how I got into this mess in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you know the writer E. B. White. Yes. He has a. He wrote an article in the New Yorker in the late 40s called Here's New York. And they made a book out of it later, a very short book. And the point of the essay was to try and define what New York was in 1948. But the way that he was doing it was in a very factual way, factual writing that veered toward poetic writing by the quality of the facts and the way they were presented. Does that make sense? Yes. And there was a bunch of New Yorker writers from that era who were doing something similar, like Lillian Ross and Joseph Mitchell. And the whole point of what they were doing was strictly journalistic. Uh It was all facts. Yes. But the facts were elevated in such a way that they became poetry. And I I had taken many shots of that and was drunk on that kind of writing. And I wanted to do something similar about Pittsburgh. And in the back of my head for a long time, I was trying to think how you could do that about Pittsburgh, what it would look like. You can't just take a New York story and transplant it to Pittsburgh. They're different cities. And a couple years ago, I had this thought about diagonality, if that's a word. Um, I was thinking particularly about the south side slopes and the way the neighborhood is built on this hillside so that the top of the neighborhood is at a completely different place than the bottom. Whereas in a flat neighborhood, one side and the other are sort of level. The people at the top of the south side slopes are technically in the same neighborhood as the people at the bottom, but they're on a totally different plane. Plane, right? literally. <laughs> yeah. And so the idea was to, to explore that idea just with facts. So the piece is not, there's no opinions in the piece. It's all Correct. things that are factual. There's a little section where I sort of veer off the rails talking about Fifth and Forbes, but for the most part, it's just facts arranged in a pleasing way. Um, the way that Pittsburgh is diagonal, that the case that I'm trying to make is that it's, it's a diagonal city in two directions. One is topography, which everybody knows. Right. There's hills. Yeah. Right. And so the hills make are the hills are diagonal 
they're not straight up cliff. Sometimes they're cliffs, like the hill yes. parts of the hill district. But right. for the most part, it's a diagonal. That the a funicular, an incline, m is a moves on an right. inclined plane. Right. The other way is that the street grid has all of these diagonal qualities to it, and some of that is because of the topography, and some of it is because of the odd way that the region developed historically. That y y you say that, I mean, Pittsburgh just didn't arrive full-blown as an entity, but it, but it was begun as little little towns right. uh, that were existing and then grew out and eventually met up, right? Right, and I this occurred to me because I was reading a book recently called Pittsburgh in the Year 1826, which is a pretty straightforward title. <laughs> but it was yeah, actually written in 1826, so it's not a look back. Huh. And they used to... They used to have um, directory, city directories, right? Yeah. And so this was a city directory that had a big essay in the front that describes Pittsburgh at the time. And at one section, he's talking about that when you talk about Pittsburgh, you really have to talk about all these little towns around it that are sort of associated with Pittsburgh but are not Pittsburgh. So in 1826, he was already, whoever wrote this, was already saying what, frankly, we think of as Pittsburgh a lot of people do too. Right. We include places that aren't really part of right. the city. Right. And so th at that time, Pittsburgh was just what we think of as the Golden Triangle. That was it. And then there were all these little towns like the Northern Liberties and Lawrenceville and Sydneyville and Birmingham and Allegheny City. And what became Allegheny City. Oh, okay. That was And yeah. they were their own thing. Uh huh. And if you think about the way that the greater Pittsburgh area is, you know, you take a town like Catanning. Catanning is a little mill town on the Allegheny River, right? The only reason it's not part of Pittsburgh is just because it never got annexed into Pittsburgh. But in, an, in a different context, you know, the boundaries of Pittsburgh would have expanded to be the whole region, and that would be another neighborhood in Pittsburgh. But the, what, our topography prevented that kind of growth? I I think actually the General Assembly prevented that kind of growth. <laughs> okay. I think that there's an annexation law that makes it really difficult to annex new, um, for an existing city to annex its neighbors. And I think it may even go back to the Supreme Court case about Pittsburgh and Allegheny City in 1907. Wow. But I don't know that for sure. Okay. But that's part of the reason why Allegheny has all these municipalities. Whereas if you go to a lot of other cities, the the metropolitan area would have swallowed all that up and it would all be considered one big city. Right. So I get, we got off the rails. Well, okay, but what, another <laughs> diagonal uh, thing that created the diagonal would be the rivers, wouldn't they? Right. For God's so, sakes, I mean. Right, but, but in another city, there would have been other cities on either side. You're saying that usually when there's a city, the city doesn't jump across rivers? Well, so there's two kinds of cities on waterways. There's lakefront and riverfront. I guess there's oceanfront too. So oceanfront and lakefront will consider the same because it's a big body of water. And with, it doesn't go out into it. Right, I, and you can't, there's no other side to it. Yeah. So That's like Chicago. Chicago, Milwaukee. Um, what were the other ones I listed in there? Well, I don't know. Okay. I mean, we can think of any right. big city on the coast. Uh, Erie. Um, yeah. Anything on the, the Great Lakes are where you find all these. And what you find in a place like Chicago is there tends to be a point that's sort of ground zero for the city. Yeah. And then the city spreads outward from there. Right. And what that does is it creates a city where there is a farthest point from the center, and then things get progressively closer. And... In riverfront cities, sometimes cities jump rivers, but a lot of times, especially on this side of the country, rivers are state boundaries, big rivers, the same big rivers that people would want to build big cities on. So if you think about Cincinnati, Cincinnati, St. Louis, um, yeah. uh, uh. Memphis, <laughs> okay, uh, um, these are, if you got rid of all the states and you just had cities in a country, they probably would have topped the river. Right. But because of the way the United States developed, they're bounded. Right. And so they just do the same thing. They spread on one side. It's actually surprisingly rare for a city to sit along a river and hop it. Really? It's not, to it's not unheard of, but it's just not as common as you would think it would be uh, because in the eastern half of the United States – 
the place where you would want to build cities on a river is also a useful way to split one state from another. True. So you think about the Mississippi and the Ohio and the Missouri, all are dividing up states. So Pittsburgh is, not only does it have one river, it has two that make a third. Right. And the city did manage to annex the little towns just in its immediate vicinity to create the city we have today. Right. So if you look at a map of Pittsburgh and you think about the tip of Point State Park, the city is an oval around that because in one direction you would go out toward the west end then to the north side, to the east end, and the south side. And that's uncommon. Because that's a lot, there's a lot of water you're jumping to make that. Right. But it's, but what it means is that, what it means is that the outermost parts of the city are somewhat equidistant from the center. Right. And you don't have that sense of the boonies because everything is. As you would in a Chicago or a city that has that barrier. Right. To one edge. Yes. Um, Okay. But can I just throw, so our topography and the diagonality yeah. that, uh, that it created in part, um, you actually say in this piece that if you look at a map of Pittsburgh, it doesn't really, it isn't able to, a map doesn't really reflect right. the reality on the ground. Right. Which seems bizarre. Because that's what it a is. map is supposed to do. But explain why you say that, that I'm, I'm looking at a map, and it's not really true. It's true. It just you need a topographic map to really understand the city because things that seem like they should be close together aren't. A perfect example is there was a website. It may still exist. It came out a couple years ago called walkscore.com, something like that. And the whole idea of the website was they were going to give each neighborhood in each city in America a walk score, how walkable the neighborhood oh, was. Okay. And Mount Washington ranked really high because Mount Washington is within a mile of some of the greatest cultural institutions <laughs> in the city, right? Are but you kidding? Because their map was <laughs> handling it like a computer thinks, and it didn't account for the fact that you have to go down a giant cliff. You would have to rappel down a cliff. And, cr- and, and swim, swim across, across a, a, a river, large river. And then you can go to Heinz Hall. <laughs> so... And I I remember thinking about that once because I was looking at a map and I was thinking um, about how you could, you know, Frank Curto Park? Yes, 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 that strange park that you never see anybody in. Sometimes you do. I have never (laughs) seen any. Frank Curto Park, for those who can't place it, is off of Bigelow. Bigelow, yeah. uh, Where Bigelow is just that straight shot connecting the downtown with, with Oakland, Hill, Oakland, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Okay. So if you look on a map, if you're standing in Frank Curto Park, yeah, you should be able to just zip into Polish Hill. Yeah. Because they're literally right okay. next they're to each right other. Right next door to each other. Right, they, but you can't because no. it's a cliff on the other <laughs> side of Frank Curto <laughs> Park, and so you have to backtrack and then kind of find your way down. Right. And there used to be stairs on a lot of these, but the point is that the map gives you an impression that Pittsburgh is this flat, flat. city yeah. and that you can just kind of make your way across. Um, but, okay, I'm just going to throw some sentences from this piece at you because they, things that, uh, yeah, I want to say, yeah, prove it. What do you mean? No two blocks in Bloomfield and Friendship are identical. I think that's fair to say. Okay. I did fact-checking on that. <laughs> <laughs> You mean identical in terms of, I mean, The same length and oriented in the same direction. There's not one block in Bloomfield or Friendship that's the same length. And oriented in the same direction. Oriented in the same direction. Because if you think about it, (laughs) uh, Baum and... Right. So the... the All I want to say about Friendship, and every time I venture in there thinking, this is a shortcut to get over here to... Yeah. I... I've had to learn, I, it's muscle memory now, right. where to turn, what to do, because I get totally discombobulated. Right, that's why. why it, yeah, but why? What's going on there? The reason, so this is what, this is the big point of this piece, Okay. is that when people are talking about Pittsburgh's a special place, or that it has a feeling <laughs> that you can't describe, yeah. part of that comes from the fact 
that there is a version of the city in our heads. I don't mean like a, I don't mean that in a, in a poetic way. I mean there's a map of the city in your head. Yes. And it does not match the actual map of the city all the time. So if when we're in a car, we expect things to be a grid, right? And so that means if, if I take three lefts, I should get back to, to where, to where I, I started. started. <laughs> but that only works if you're driving on a square. If you're driving on a triangle or a... Or a, a parallelogram. A parallelogram or a pentagon or something, then it doesn't. And so what happens in Bloomfield is the neighborhood feels, those two neighborhoods, Bloomfield and Friendship, feel like they're a rectangle, but they're not. They do. It's a, it's a pentagon. And what happens is in the sh on the shady side end of it, it's Liberty and Baum and Center feel like one big road, but they're not. They're, they're, they intersect each other at, a, at an acute angle. So in other words... You're not going insane. I mean, so you're not stupid. It's all, it's like a, it's like a house of mirrors. Right. I mean, and I pity people who, I mean, I don't, we're, I was not a native. I, I was lost for a good 20 years. Right. Probably. I still get turned I around. I still get lost. Yeah. But now I enjoy it because right. now I sort of feel like big deal. So, or, or I still will sometimes say, huh, I got time. I wonder what's <laughs> Right. What's up that? And Which is I, the great joy of Pittsburgh. Oh, my God. Just the other day, I found myself in a part of Garfield. Way, way, way up. I didn't know. I think I was still in Garfield. Ended up just wandering around and finally came down yeah. at the Allegheny Cemetery. Yeah. But I, it, there was all this wilderness up there. Yeah. I live up there. You do? Yeah, and I mentioned okay. the wilderness in the piece. Oh, well... <laughs> Can I tell you a, yeah, a funny go, go. Um, a funny direction story in Pittsburgh? Oh, sure. I was in Millvale one day. Okay. And there was a – I was trying to see the Maxo Vanka murals oh, on yes. short notice. And I didn't – These are these marvelous murals in a Catholic church. Yeah, um, in Millvale. In Millvale. Uh, that depict uh, the working man and uh, and they're uh, very allegorical and they show Jesus as a uh, being stabbed by Doughboy soldiers in World War One. I. I mean, they're remarkable. They're amazing. Yeah, yeah, they're amazing. So I was up there trying to show my mother these murals and didn't do any research to see if it was open that day and it wasn't. So we were sitting there in the parking lot trying to decide what to do next, and this car pulls up, and inside is a Chinese family from China, tourists who don't speak any English, or very little English. And they show me an address of where they're trying to get to. And it's in, it's on Robinson Street, which is in West Oakland. And I thought, there is no <laughs> way I can explain right to them with a language barrier how to get there. So we just had to say, show follow them. us. So this is how, how often do you see uh, a story about the people of Pittsburgh are so wonderful. We were in town, and we asked them, and do you know, they went out of their way. They said, follow us. It's not that we're nice. It's because there is no way to explain. And it might also be, and maybe I'm just, this is just my own personal failing, that once you do figure it out, you feel so superior <laughs> that you can't <laughs> help but share it. Share what you know. It's like when you go to Home Depot and then you're in the parking lot and everybody's always telling you, oh, well, the, you know what you should do with the with that wood you just yeah, got. It's, yeah. it's the same sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, there is a smugness that comes with finally sort of, yeah. It's a very get, benef <laughs> benevolent smugness. <laughs> okay, now wait. Um, oh, so, so this is, here, here, smugness comes, shortcuts. Getting around Pittsburgh. Now, I, because I came here as a television reporter, uh, every day I would go out on a story, but the reporters don't drive for some reason. The photographers drive. <laughs> <laughs> and that's still true. I don't know what the hell that's about. Although, I guess because reporters are supposed to be right. working. Although, back when I came, it wasn't like we had computers and were working in the car. We were just sitting there. Um, but the the guys, the the old-timey photographers would drive. 
and my God, did I get yeah, a, lesson. a lesson in how to get around. But I remember the joy with which you would all of a sudden realize that I could be on I mean, the the Brady Street thing from 2nd Avenue snaking up to the Birmingham Bridge or back to, uh, yeah. to Oakland. I second mean, Avenue. I, 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 second, beyond belief when I first saw that. I thought, who the hell would know that was here? I think people I, do. I could be wrong. Well, first of all, I've noticed that in the last five years, the secret is out on a lot of those. Uh, but I think right. that this is a total supposition. I've never gone to look at the historic record my gut is that a lot of those were just streets and they only became shortcuts because other roads were built ah okay so brady street is under something it's under the it's under birmingham bridge. the bridge but the birmingham bridge is wasn't there right when brady street was right okay and that's probably if true. you think about like river way which is on the north okay. side yeah well, before Route 28, that's just the way to get from right. one place to another. Right. And Goldway is like that for Bigelow. Gold. Goldway is a little path that snakes from Polish Hill into North Oakland underneath the Bloomfield Bridge. <laughs> okay. Okay, speaking of that little area, another thing of being a diagonal city are... With diagonals, at some point, all these diagonals are sort of, you end up with a five-way. Five-way intersections. Five-way intersections. Right. All of which are in my neighborhood, I think. Which is where? I live in Point Breeze. Yeah, Point Breeze, Squirrel Hill have a lot. Yeah. There's three in Squirrel Hill. On my way to work. Yeah. I do two. Yeah. I do the Beechwood, Wilkins, Linden. Yeah. And I do that mess at uh, trying to get on the parkway yeah, at forward, Murray forward. Pecuset. And then there's the one near Polish Hill, Bigelow, Heron. Heron, Paulina. Paulina. And the one thing if you end up at one of these places is if you hit the light wrong, you can read a book. Well, if you think about it, it makes perfect sense because if you have a four-way intersection, it's two and two. But at a five-way intersection, it has to just be sort of one, two, three, four, five. Sometimes you can have two and two and one. That's what they do on, right. yeah, on the Lyndon Wilkins Beachwood. I yeah. mean, the, the big guys get to go <laughs> twice. Oh, man. So um, you say there's optical illusions. Yes. Created when you're on I hope foot. that other people can see these because I otherwise. I know the, the one... When you mentioned the one about Allegheny General, I think that everybody... Yeah. So explain that. So if you're driving into downtown or walking into downtown on Penn Avenue, Allegheny General is directly in front of you in your field of vision. Correct. Then as you continue going down Penn Avenue, when you get to about 13th Street, it is now directly to your right. <laughs> now, if you keep going... If you want to actually get to Allegheny General, yeah. you keep going down to 9th Street, okay. you turn right, you cross the bridge, you go straight, and now you hit it. So on a so it's gone from being straight in front of you to, to do right, right on your right to going forward and it's still do right, but something can't be do right at two points along a line. And the reason is because what feels like a right angle is not. You're actually moving you're you're sort of twisting and kinking a little to the right and to the left at each turn in this process. But it creates this optical illusion that makes you feel like some like the building is moving as you're as right, you're moving. Right. There's a right. lot that happens a lot right. in town. Another one that I mentioned The in Cathedral there, of Learning moves a lot to me. Yeah. And the cathedral Go ahead. Well the cathedral helps because it's not quite symmetrical. But when building a lot of the buildings downtown are and so it really gets confusing because they look the same from every direction. Okay. So PPG Place looks pretty much identical no matter which way you're looking at it. And the Steel Tower does too. Yeah. And what that means is that if you're coming into town from the strip, you'll see, you'll see, st I think it's Steel Tower on your right and PPG on your left. No, 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 no. Did I have it the, the other opposite. way around? Okay. PPG is on your right, Steel Tower is on your left. I think. Then you go all the way through downtown to the point. Turn and around, opposite. and it's the same. Oh, no, it's the same. That's right. Still which shouldn't right. happen. 
because it's like looking at something in the front and then turning around and looking at it in the back, and it's the same thing. It should flip. It should flip. But it doesn't. And the reason is because you're not actually passing through them. They're both, they are both to your left the whole time. It's an optical illusion. You know, it's no wonder that when I get in my car, I have to take a deep breath and pause. <laughs> I do, often. I mean, if I'm not going to some right. place that I go to all the time. Huh. Now, let me think. Really? Right. And I don't know that you have to do that in a, in a city on a grid. I mean, not No, like in New York, you know, you just need to know. I mean, I guess it helps to know that Fifth yeah. Avenue is where the park is, but. Yeah. Or, you know, I was just in Chicago. Now, Chicago, when you fly in, you look down and it's grid, grid, grid. And you always know, because of that lake, where direction is. Right. You know, ah, the lake. East. And it's easy. I never know what direction I'm going in this city. When people say, well, is it north of so-and-so or south? I don't know what's north, south, east, and west around here. Yeah. I have no idea. But what's weird I've noticed about Chicago, after reading your thing, is that they built a lot of diagonals, into big it. diagonal streets into it. Um, that was the city beautiful. That was the That was that... Was it the, called the Miracle Mile? Uh, the Miracle Mile is that shopping district from the... Uh, no. In Monroeville. But no, no, no. In Chicago. There's one in Monroeville, on too. On Michigan Avenue. Yes. Um, Believe me, the Michigan Avenue one is nicer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there's something, there's something special that's... If you look in urban planning history, there's something special about downtown Chicago, that part. That, okay. That was part of a big city planning initiative that okay. I don't think was ever completed to its fullest. Okay. Well, my, I, when I said to my sister, you know, gee, it's grids, and then you screw everything up by putting these diagonals in, which makes everybody nuts. And she said, no, but if it's all grids, the way you get someplace quicker is creating a diagonal through the grid. They're also more beautiful, diagonals. Are more beautiful. And they were trying to make beautiful cities. Okay, so, okay. Another interesting thing that I noticed, I was in New York recently, and I was walking their grid, the street grid, and something I noticed is that in a city with a strong street grid, there are these canyons of buildings yes, yes. that go all the way to the water. And in Pittsburgh, it's very rare to be standing on a street and not see a building at the end of the street. This, you're on one. Because we're, we're up on the 22nd floor, right. and if you look over there to your left, it is a straight, although it's... You don't really see the river. You just see There's that just no buildings. You see a hill right. across the river. Right. But right. There's no other. And it's very rare. There's only a few places in the city like that. Uh-huh. And what you'll notice is those are the places that all of the pent-up driving frustration that people have gets let out because they finally feel that there's a straightaway that they can drive on. <laughs> and that's when people really blow it out in their cars. So Fifth Avenue in Oakland, when people get on that and they just let loose all of a sudden... It's because the city is so constricted in the way that it, you drive. That at last you got a straightaway. And you, and you think like, red lights, banned, <laughs> I'm going to floor it. <laughs> you can't floor anything through Oakland on no. Fifth Avenue. God. No, one of the things that happened that it's like a hallmark of driving in Pittsburgh is somebody has decided that they're going to try and snake around everybody and get ahead of the mess. Yeah. And you, hit, you always catch up to them at the and next, the at the next I know. light. I'm the one, I'm the type A that's always, get out of right. it, you know, this, that, and I always, I'm, so I'm at the light, I hit the red light, of course, and I, I look in my rearview mirror thinking, no, no, don't, <laughs> right. I mean, don't let them catch up to me, I'll right. feel like an idiot, right. don't, don't, don't. It's like if the lights were seven seconds <laughs> different, you could make every single one, <laughs> every single one. Okay, you know what blew me away when I first started working downtown, I was taking the busway, and I know Amy still does, the, the P1, yeah. I don't know if you ever... Have you ever been on the busway? Yeah, it's great. But the view of Pittsburgh is disoriented. I don't know where the hell I am. Yeah. You're looking at a back. You're looking at places from a perspective you've never seen before. Right. Yeah. I just find it unbelievable. Yeah, and part of it is because the road, the equivalent roadways, are higher and lower. Yeah. Well, it just blew my mind. Still yeah. does, and I, I, I still have trouble orienting myself when I'm, when I'm looking, trying to think. Now, let's see, where is that? What's going on up there? Yeah. 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 And it, the same as if you ever take a the Amtrak train, uh, from here, 
I've done that once. Yeah, once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I found once was enough. Um, so, okay, I, I just want to, can I get into something? Let me see. Um, you wrote a sentence. Okay. And I want to read this sentence because I just thought, this is amazing. You're talking about something so, I don't know. Listen to this. Talking about poetry. This is where you were mentioning all those other people. Yeah. Stanton Avenue runs along the back of the East End like a zipper up the back of an evening <laughs> gown. <laughs> like a zipper on the back of an evening gown on a woman in repose, hiding <laughs> some things worth hiding and some things worth seeing. You know, the problem with blogs is... <laughs> Is you do all this writing, and then it's out there forever for people to find. Well, no, no, I think that's marvelous. You like marvelous. that? Oh, okay. I think it's marvelous. And Stanton Avenue is one of the, I mean, that blows me away. I often, t it, a friend moved to Lawrenceville, and um, I thought, oh, how do I, and I real, I, the way I've decided is Stanton Avenue, who knew? Yeah. Stanton Avenue, zzz, uh, the long, 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 long Stanton Avenue, which drops me right down in, in Lawrenceville. Yeah, I didn't know, I wouldn't have known that before. Yeah. It's amazing. It is. So what part of the city don't you know at all? Do I not know it all? Yeah. I, the part I know the least well is the West End. Yeah. But I, I know it okay. Really? So do you, w I mean, do you walk the city a lot? I don't walk it as much as I used to, but for part of the way I learned the city was just curiosity. And part of it was that for two years I did a cartoon here at City Paper, and the cartoon was a little scene from the city every week. And to to keep it from being overloaded with East End stuff, I made a point of moving east, south, north, west, center on a five-week rotation. And so I was making my way throughout the whole city as okay. a result of that. Is is Pittsburgh unusual also in, in, I mean, well, you would have to have the topography to have the steps, all of those steps that we My have. sense is that it is. I think so too, but... I mean, think of some other hilly cities. Does well, San Francisco have steps like that? Does it? You're Strange, nodding. Yes. Strange little steps. Yeah. Okay. I, part of it is that, you know, San Francisco is, it gets hilly. Yes. There's a part that's flat by the bay, and then it gets hilly. Right. And Pittsburgh is unusual in that it's, it's hilly all over the place, and there's flat patches here and there. But it's not like Los Angeles where there's a coastal plain uh -huh. and then it, the hills. There's yeah. no the hills. The whole thing is hills. Yeah. Okay. There's two, there's two flat patches that aren't hills, Oakland and downtown, and a little bit of the north side. A little bit of shady and side. Yeah. I was actually thinking the other day because I, I walk for exercise. And like, walking in this city, I mean, and I live sort of on a hill, and there's no way for me to leave my home, and not have the return trip be right. <laughs> just you know, enervating. <gasps> I always, you know, enter my house, you know, red-faced and gasping for breath. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, when they tell you to walk for exercise, they're saying that to people who live in flat places, too. Right. So I was thinking, I wonder if it'd be, if I don't tell anybody, if I just drive my car over to, like... <laughs> Shady side, and then just walk up and down, you know, streets. Yeah. Right, right, up and down and up and down and up and down. Because it, Pittsburgh, I guess, is, is, is really um, a great place to be in shape if yeah. you walk. There's a, this is awful, but I'll. Oh, we I, like awful. It wasn't my awfulness. It's somebody else's awfulness. So, you know, there's a book, Stefan Laurent, Laurent yes. did that book, Pittsburgh, the Story of a S American City or something right, like that. Right. And there's been four or five editions to it. And in one of the editions, I think it's the third, there's this section in the back and it's something like professionals of Pittsburgh. And so there's a page of like, here's Pittsburgh's advertising men and here's Pittsburgh's architects and here's Pittsburgh's doctors. And after it, it goes page and page of professional white, men. Of white men. I mean, let's just then say the next page is, it's a two-page spread and it's women from the legs down, from the waist down, from the back, and it's 
It just says, Pittsburgh women have the best legs in the world ah! <laughs> because of all the hills. Oh. Look it up. I, I totally take your word for it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Actually, I remember when I lived in Madison, Wisconsin, which one doesn't think of as hilly, but on the city, uh, on the campus, there was a thing called Bascom Hill, which was a bit of a schlep. And I remember someone saying that, you know, you can always tell uh, the difference between the freshman girls <laughs> and the <laughs> and the senior girls because the freshmen haven't gotten their... their Is that in an older edition, Thankfully, one would think? yes. Yes. <laughs> God But not that mighty. old. Oh, my God. We have a call? You're going to have to put those on then. Um, okay. Uh, hang on. Caller? Hello? Yes, I'm not from Pittsburgh. I'm from Cannonsburg. Can you hear but okay? Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. I was hesitating as you were talking about, you know, walking Pittsburgh. I was headed to setting. The first thing that came to my mind was the Pittsburgh woman's butt, <laughs> and I wasn't going to. I wasn't going Clarence, to. Clarence, I know this that. guy. What do you mean? he mentioned that the legs, <laughs> because there is a thing you could tell that because of the hills. <laughs> I didn't. I thought he was going to go with the butt thing, but he ended up going with the leg thing. Are you saying <laughs> Pittsburgh women have strong, uh, nice, yeah, glutes? Nice, nice booties. Yeah. <laughs> Really? Because of having to walk up those hills. Uh huh. It's, it's, it's a thing. Yeah, that's, you know. I never noticed. Anything. I never it's, noticed oh, myself. Sure, yeah. So, so if I <laughs> go walking. Yeah, but Clarence, if I go walking Shadyside, I'm not going to get the. I'm, I, I got to stay where I am and go for the glute. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thing. But, yeah, yeah, you could. There's been. It's, for, for, shoot, decades it's been a joke that white women in Pittsburgh don't have the flat butts that you see everywhere else. <laughs> Who says that's a joke? That joke is, that a, is that white <laughs> women don't because is that a joke in the black community? Yeah, yeah probably. But, no, you know, but. my community, you know, my, my friends are all, like, all over the place. So, but it's been said, you know, you can tell that woman's from Pittsburgh because she, she has a bubble butt or, you know, she has a booty because <laughs> it's not as flat. I did not know hills. this. I didn't know. Did you ever hear that? Eric didn't hear it either. I get, you know, yeah. Clarence, I thought you were woke, as they say. <laughs> well, I'm not even woke enough to know what woke means. <laughs> but, but, when, but as he was saying that, I said, I should not bring up that Pittsburgh butt thing. No, you should not. talking about the legs. <laughs> I mean, Eric didn't want to bring up the leg thing. He's, he's hesitated. <laughs> I brought it up as yeah, a historical it's anachronism. It's like scary to do. <laughs> so I anyway. Okay. Uh, all right. So you're in Cannonsburg, and that's yeah. flat, isn't it? Uh, it's right. No, it's just it's kind of like Pittsburgh because of the creek. Um, Short Tears Creek goes through it. Oh. That's where it's flat, following the creek, and then it goes up on either side. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cannonsburg is it's flat. The main, you know, just like anywhere else. They built the trails around the flat part, which was where the creek is, and then it goes up on either side of it. Okay. All right. Well, thank yeah. you. Thank you for the geography right. lesson. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Right. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Um, uh, so I want to, I wanna, uh, speaking of the hills, though, this, this has occurred to me more than once as um, I near uh, an old age. I actually am an old age. And I... I, I st my mother's still alive. She's 95, and um, I see old people. And as they get old, they start looking for homes that are, you know, maybe on one Four. level. And when I look at all of these P Pittsburgh uh, homes with steps. the steps up to the front door. And uh, going down to a street that maybe is another steep hill where you would have to get to the grocery store and back up. And I really wonder um, how old people have been able to 
live uh, once they maybe lose the mobility they might have had. How do you, if your house is one of those Pittsburgh houses, how do you even live in it? How do you get out? I have no idea. Well, think I about think that, though. Wouldn't that be a, I, that has to sort of. There is a, you know, old, we're talking about two different kinds of old people. Yes. Old people are not. Necessarily unable to do stuff. Right, and I think one of the things you see in Pittsburgh is older people who have an incredible fortitude to them. Um, I have, a lot of my friends are older people because I do a lot of historical work and I just prefer their company. And <laughs> I'm always amazed at how active and engaged they are into their 80s, late 80s sometimes. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if that's a Pittsburgh thing or if that's an everywhere thing, but the other side of what you're talking about is when people are actually incapacitated. And a lot of people are. And I don't know, and maybe in the past there were a lot of shut-ins that we didn't know about because nobody was talking about it. There has to have been. Yeah. I mean, it just has to. Uh, you know, you go through whole neighborhoods, or even in Point Breeze there's places where, my God, it's like 20 steps up, 25, 30 steps up to the front door. Yeah. And I'm thinking if you're, you live in that house and you grow old in that house, now chances are... You've got strong legs because you've done that every day, but I remember happening. I grew up in Squirrel Hill, and I remember watching through the window of my school, you would see women, older women, with the giant eagle bags on their heads. Do you know what I'm talking about? The giant eagle They would wear, bag. like, when it was raining, they would okay, wear, they like, could. a giant eagle bag on their head, and they would be walking up the Murray Avenue, and they would just be, you know... Yeah. Really hauling. No, just no. like slowly making their slowly way Slowly making their right. way Right, and it was like, you know, it was going to take all day to get up that big hill, but they would just they slowly would do it. make their way up the hill. Well, and you still do see that. Yeah. Right, and I see, yeah. God, wow. Okay, now, um, you've written a book. <laughs> oh, I want to give you a plug here. Okay. How the Room Came to Smell Like a Rose. Yes, that's old. Oh, is it? I have a. I actually have a book coming out soon. Okay. Um, it's a biography of Rabbi Walter Jacob at Road of Shalom Congregation. Oh, he's a fascinating guy. Yeah. Give us some, for instance. Well, for those who don't know him, he was born in Germany in 1930, and his father was the rabbi of a mid-sized Jewish community there in Augsburg, and he, his father, was the 15th generation of rabbi in the family so rabbi our rabbi jacob is the 16th and history being what it was the family had to leave in 1938 1939 and they eventually settled in springfield missouri and then walter jacob came to road of Shalom congregation in shadyside and remained there the rest of his career so he he's been there since 1955 and after he retired from the day-to-day -day pulpit there he went back to Germany, not to live, but part-time, and started a rabbinic seminary, the first rabbinic seminary in Germany since World War II. Wow. So that's the basic I narrative of his life. But he's just a fascinating person and has done a lot of interesting things, things that you wouldn't expect. Give us a for instance. Well, he, he and his wife, Irene, were the founder of the Biblical Botanical Gardens. I love that. Yeah, yeah. so if you've ever... I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but there is a biblical botanical garden yes. um, on Fifth Avenue, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, right, It's right. for those of you who know Road of Sholem at Fifth and Moorwood, it's just on the property there. Right. And speaking of diagonals, it actually uses one in a very interesting way. When you go into the garden, it feels much larger than it actually is because it's built on a diagonal, and so they, <laughs> just to connect things up. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's that should be coming out soon. Um, and uh, So t the garden, though, explain what that garden is. Right, so the garden. idea of the garden is that they have plants that appear in the Bible, and then they have plants with names that were inspired by biblical subjects, like Wandering Jew. Uh-huh. And every year they have, they, they open the garden in 87, I believe, and every year they have a special exhibit some years they've done it on beer, on papyrus, on 
uh, one year they did it on the idea of paradise, gardens of paradise in, in religious traditions. But you have to figure that the plants in the Bible are plants that grow in a desert. That's actually, much, ori so. the original idea was just to have plants from the Bible, and they realized <laughs> that they were going to get into this two-week growing season. <laughs> right. So that's when they added the plants, plants with biblical-inspired names. Yeah. I bet there's a ton, you know, we don't think about it, but I bet there's a ton of plants that have, I mean, because so much, uh, so many things are, you know, allude to the Bible. Right. That yeah. we don't even yeah. think about. Yeah. So other than Wandering Jew, though, so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to think of one. I wouldn't be able to come up with you any off the top of my head. You can't think of one? All right. Me either. Um, but soon, presumably, it'll be warm enough that people could go and they could find uh, out for themselves. Ah! Hope springs eternal. Okay, so the other thing I want people to know because uh, is uh, Eric has a blog, and we will uh, direct you to that. It it, it is Eric Ligi Ligi L I D J I yes dot wordpress dot com dot wordpress dot com, and you know I looked at it and there's some odd things on there. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, like... I started the blog as a place to put things that there was no other place for. Okay. So it has a kind of hodgepodge quality to it. Like you're into graffiti? I'm not into it, but I think it's interesting. I do too. And one of the ones that blew me away when I, f I thought I discovered it. What a joke was when I started seeing the apathy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that I thought whoever's doing this, it's just brilliant. Do we know who's doing apathy? I don't know who's you doing don't, it. You don't know who's doing it? No. I see it everywhere yeah. now. I mean, there's something so wonderful about the idea of apathy and then somebody quite unapathetically Putting it up all over the place. Putting it up all over the place. It's just brilliant the one that got me started on that was the protractors okay that's what i wondered so yeah. you have a thing about and i never noticed it i <laughs> i i spent you know maybe six months on this and every single spring i get emails about it Where, so a protract a protractor somebody a protractor is the d-shaped tool from elementary school that can be used to measure angles right and it looks like a half circle kind right. of. Right. Yeah. And back in 2011, they started appearing all over the East End with yep. numbers on them, glued onto things, epoxied onto the surfaces of things. And they were different colors, and they had numbers on them. And a bunch of people, at least in my friend group, started noticing them and were talking about them. And I started making a map of them just to see if they right. did anything. Right. And they didn't, but it was still fun to go around. And, and you got up to how many? Like 400-something or even 500? It's in the high 400s. Yeah. And I've a, never seen one. Why is that? I don't know. I'm, there's still some around. They, As the city changes, they disappear. Anytime there's a renovation project, they disappear or someone peels them off. But every spring, I get emails. <laughs> and every year, up, every year in the spring, up. Pitt undergrad will email me and ask if they can write a paper for an English class on it. Well, why did they ask you? Because I have a website. That <laughs> <laughs> they think you. Uh, they don't think I did it, but they oh, know that I've spent more time thinking about and it. And you don't know who did that either. I don't know. Isn't that interesting? God. But the protractor is back to geometry. Did you do well in geometry? I did. Geometry is math for English majors. My geometry story is. Green Bay, Wisconsin, 19, God knows what, 59, maybe, no, 60, I don't know. And um, I didn't know what geometry was. And I'd been a very good little student. And Mr. Bougie was the geometry teacher. He stood about 4 foot 10, I would say. And uh, he's a strange, terrifying little man. And he gave us a test the first day and we later found out this test was to give him some idea of which of us might be inclined to get geometry 
He came up to me afterwards and he said, you scored the highest in the class. I'm going to be expecting wonderful things from you. I proceeded to the first class I ever flunked. I flunked it! Not on purpose. No! I, I don't know. There was something about him saying that to me it got that terrified me. And, and then the protractor, the fact that we had to buy these things. I sort of like the thing with the pencil yeah, where you could draw circles and stuff. But I thought, what the hell does this have to do with arithmetic? <laughs> it was just so out of my sense of what it was that I had command of. And I began to literally, my brain would shut off the minute I walked into his door. Were you good at algebra? Not particularly. I just, you know, maybe it was this classic thing where I was a smart girl, and girls back in the 50s and 60s weren't supposed to be good at math, and I just shut down. Hmm. I don't know. That's interesting. I don't know. Well, you succeeded nevertheless. Yeah, but not in math. <laughs> and still to this day, geometry scares me. Huh. Yeah. I, st I wonder if I were to go back to it now where I wouldn't be scared or I would try not to be scared if, if I would find it fascinating. Do you learn visually? I don't think so. So maybe that's a maybe problem. Maybe that's it, yeah. Yeah. I'm very verbal, but I don't know that I'm, I don't know. Who the hell knows? I still don't understand it. So what was that thing called that wasn't the project? A compass. A compass, that's right. Yeah. Did you have a slide rule? Remember those? That was a little before my okay, time. Okay, see, see. Although I did inherit my grandfather's slide, slide rule. Slide rule, yeah. yeah. Oh, sure. Slide rules, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, God. So anyway, you're, yeah, the blog. Go to the blog because there's fascinating stuff. And um, because you work at the History Center with the, the Jewish archive there. Yeah, during... The day I'm the director <laughs> of the Rao Jewish History Program okay. archives okay. at the Heinz History Center. If you are Jewish or even if you aren't, um, there is some fascinating stuff that you get to on the blog stories about uh, Pittsburgh yeah. and the Jewish community. And I was just sort of looking at one about you know the merchants about yeah. oh my God and. Um, I saw something about Shapira's something cheap store. The Shapira family before yeah. Giant Eagle. Before Giant yeah. Eagle. Did the store actually have the name cheap? Store? Oh, that's a different Shapira. Oh, that's a different Shapira. Yeah, on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> it was. It's yeah, no, I mean, really? the merchants on Fifth Avenue were, it was a very competitive business. And it was, you would maybe have like 10 stores that were selling the same thing. And so... Ooh. You had to compete on different things, and some competed on product, and some competed on quality, price. and some competed on price. Okay. And the question is whether the word cheap meant then what it means I now. I guess not. It and it probably meant, didn't. It meant right. affordable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it looked sort of funny. Yeah. But most of these merchants were Jews? Well, there was a stretch of uptown, Fifth Avenue, Okay. from what we would now think of as Crosstown Boulevard to Fifth Avenue High School, that was a wholesaling district. Oh. And it's, it really comes into being around 1880, and it disappears in the 70s and 80s, uh, the okay. 1970s and 80s. And during that time, a majority of the wholesalers were Jewish. And it created this little ecosystem where the Jewish wholesalers would sell, they would sell to any retailer, but they sold to all of the Jewish retailers in the small towns around Pittsburgh. Okay. And so there was this really lovely economy where the small town merchants not only got their supply from Jewish Pittsburgh wholesalers, but they also got a sense of community because in a lot of these really tiny towns, there was be, no Jewish. They family. might be the only Jewish family there. And then on Sunday, they would come in when the town closed down on Sunday, they would drive into Pittsburgh and shop the avenue and they would get their supplies, but they would also get kosher meat, and they could go to, like, the Jewish bookstore, and they could meet other Jews, and it was a way for the kids to see what a Jewish community looked like. 
huh. this really interesting mixture of economics and and community. Wow. Yeah. So, did you major in history? No. Nope. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Did you major in geometry? No. You no. said you were an English <laughs> major. You're an English major. I was an English major at Pitt, yeah, and a film studies major. Two high, high-powered professions. And I can hear his Jewish parents saying, "So, what are you gonna do with an English?" Degree? No, they no, were they very didn't. proud and supportive. <coughs> Good. You couldn't be a doctor. You couldn't be a lawyer. We're we're done. I came from a family of English majors. So. Of English yeah. majors. Good. Good. Okay. My gosh. I want to thank you for yeah. giving me an hour that I found totally pleasurable where I did not think of you know who even once and the fact that we might be at war with the Russians uh, by noon. Well, I'm glad I could help. <laughs> Thank you. So check out the stuff on his, uh, there's such a, a wondrous world on Eric Ligi, L-I-D-J-I dot, uh, dot com. Uh, just wonderful stuff. You could get lost there, in fact. Thank you. Thank you. I'll never look at a protractor the same way again. Hey, tomorrow, my good friend Joanne Rogers will be uh, here, and we'll be uh, talking about this big year for Fred Rogers. Um, it's his 50th, cent uh, 50th centennial, 50th anniversary, and too damn bad he ain't here to enjoy it. But we'll have Joanne, and uh, it's going to be fun. She's wonderful. Okay? See ya. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers. <laughs>